Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today we are bringing back another Oklahoma City Blue Megapod. You guys know I love covering the Blue Squad. Typically during the offseason you do not hear much about G League affiliates but over the last week or so the OKC Blue have been making major strides And they are staying in the Paycom Center for next season. So I want to talk about that. I want to discuss their most recent Exhibit 10 signee, Sasha Kalea Jones, and how he perfectly fits into what Nazi Muhammad has been building with the Blue organization. And then I want to round things out just talking about the Oklahoma City Blue in general and the roster changes that we have seen. Members from the 21 to 22 squad that have departed, where they're going to be heading, and then obviously the incoming talent off the two-way and Exhibit 10 pool. And to top it all off, guys, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. Starting things out, though, with the Blue announcing that they're staying in the Paycom Center. This actually came from Joe Musato. He uh, had the story broken on Tuesday and it just kind of etched it into stone that the OKC Blue were going to be sticking around in the Paycom and this came from a Thunder spokesperson this is something that you might be like well why is this important I actually had this exact same conversation in the last podcast and you guys can rewind I think it was probably the first 10 minutes of the pod I kind of gave this exact same speech and I was saying you know why would this be crazy that we need to be talking about this typically if you're still under the lease if you're still under the contract you're going to be staying in the same arena well the OKC Blue and Sam Presti I guess had to have discussions with the G League over the offseason during the G League season whatever it was and they basically said they didn't want them playing in the arena and I went into detail on it I think because we're on the topic and we're kind of putting the coffin in it now I might as well just give the full uh, details on it but you know, they want that they wanted them out of the paycom. And you might be thinking that's ridiculous. The pros are obvious. It allows you to have that roster flexibility, move guys in and out in the system easily. Uh, but on the other hand, the G League is a business and you know they're looking to improve upon it. Ever since they brought in the G League Ignite, they have seen numbers soar. There are plenty of amazing accounts, both on Instagram on YouTube that cover the G League and even on Twitter. There are a lot of people that cover the G League and they do a great job at it. But I'll tell you, before the Ignite was established in the bubble, I don't think you saw 50% of that cut. There were just there was just not that many eyes on the NBA G League. So whenever we got the Ignite in and you started to see more and more of you know social media usage, these crazy G League highlights that used to go unnoticed, they're not unnoticed anymore. So they have built a pretty solid brand now to where they're able to kind of put their affiliates on a, on a big level and garner some attention. One of the things that kind of separates the blue from some of these other organizations is that they play in the Paycom Center. You think that's a good thing. The attendance is obviously going to be a, a lot larger in potential capacity, but you also have to realize the Paycom Center is a venue that holds a lot of stuff. We're talking concerts. We're talking Oklahoma City Thunder games. Scheduling OKC Blue games is probably a bit of a headache, I would imagine. And because of that, there were plenty of 11 a.m., 12 p.m. tip-off times in the Paycom Center where you'd have that game and then at 6.30, the OKC Thunder would be playing the Charlotte Hornets. Just stuff like that where... There is not really a scheduling conflict, but if you're looking to get the most eyes on the affiliate, you want to have them in a separate venue where they're playing at 6 p.m., 7 p.m. The marketing team's able to distribute you know, goodies every single game, and you're able to kind of foster that community. When you play 11 a.m. games on Tuesdays, it's a little bit more difficult to do that, so I could see why they brought them to the table and wanted that to be done. On the other end of that coin, though, you got to see, you know, the Thunder's perspective. There's not another venue in OKC, at least from what Presti said in his Exeter interview, there's not another venue that is going to be able to accommodate for the Oklahoma City Blue. They used to just use uh, the Cox Pavilion across the street, but they actually sold that off to Prairie Surf Studios, 
and that's not going to hold a, a basketball game anymore. You know, they've kind of flipped the page on that. So you can't use that anymore. It's basically just the paycom. And as discussions have gone on, Mayor Holt has kind of thrown the idea out of building a new arena. We'll see where things go. I want to say, and I said this in the last pod, Holt did not mention anything about the Oklahoma City Blue. I tried reaching out to him about it, did not hear anything. So maybe this is an indicator that there are plans for something to be built to accommodate the Oklahoma City Blue, put them in a different venue. Uh, But this looks like a little bit more of bot time for the Thunder. And I think that's probably the expected thing. I've actually, I reached out to a couple people about this uh, kind of blue scenario because I obviously want to let you guys know about this team. And from what I heard, I heard that the rumor was that they'd be sticking around, but it was unconfirmed. Now it's confirmed. I think it just makes sense because you can't just force them out out of nowhere and kind of put them wherever it would be like Enid or I don't know if they could even put them back in Tulsa. I don't know if the 66ers could get back because they're old venues now at church, but you would have some hoops to go through. So now there's that bot time and something will be sorted out, I assume, to get them in their own arena. It just looks nicer. It allows for better scheduling and obviously the, the bottom line helps. Uh, But the clear-cut bottom line comes from that NBA level, comes from the OKC Thunder, and comes from how they are structured. So I want to go into the OKC Thunder structure, why it's so important that the OKC Blue are going to be sticking around, and who is going to benefit the most from this news. And honestly, guys, there's a lot more people thrown into this discussion than you might think. So I'm going to go into that going to be talking about Sasha Kalea Jones and the overall roster outlook of the OKC Blue in one second here. But first, I want to let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. I was looking at uh, the UFC match matches on uh, Saturday. Man, um, those were some good ones. I'm going to be honest. If I was throwing down some cash on DraftKings Sportsbook this weekend, I probably would have lost. I had a lot of faith in Juliana Pena defeating Amanda Nunez um, for the second time. Nunez is like the goat in the women's division, so, you know, I I probably should have not thought it was going to be a, a 2-0 right there, but we'll see if there's going to be a trilogy. Really good stuff with the UFC, though, and really good stuff you guys can find all over on DraftKings Sportsbook. Best thing of all, though, with DraftKings, it is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, make your first deposit, and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Want to continue talking about the blue sticking around in the Paycom Center. You might think it's insignificant, and, you know, you can say that. That is so far from the truth, though, guys. So many advantages to this, and even if you don't cover the blue, if you don't pay attention to the blue, there's one in clear sight, right? You get two two two-way contracts on an NBA team now. Basically are able to move back and forth however many times you want. It's not capped to 45 days anymore. I believe now it's 50 regular season games, and they're allowed to travel with the Thunder as much as they want. It just depends if they're going to be active. So for players like Lindy Waters and Eugene Omarui, you know, they are 
almost latched on to one-year minimum contracts with the OKC Thunder, but they're also going to be with the Blue. With them sticking around in OKC, being in the same venue, they're going to be able to move back and forth really anytime they need to. When you have a home-and-home set with the Blue and the Thunder, that happened 15 times last season, by the way, where the Blue played at 11 p.m. or noon, and then the OKC Thunder followed in the same building about six or seven hours later, about four or five after the final horn sound of that blue game. That kind of lets you know uh, kind of the scheduling, which is very tight. But with that, you know, you're going to be able to play 25 minutes with the OKC Blue and sit on the sidelines for the Thunder, maybe even play in both games. We saw that last year with Deke Kredchi. I believe others also kind of partook in that as well. But there was a lot of times where you could see players move back and forth, and it ultimately worked out well for both organizations. And that is what this is all about. But... It goes beyond just that clear-cut look. The OKC Thunder are going to have to trim their roster to 15. But even after they get to that final cut, when they get to 15, plus the two two two-way signees, they really are are not done. There is still a lot of rotational crunches that will be ongoing with this team. You got to look at their identity, and they have one right now. They have a lot of very good playmakers, and now they added Chet Holmgren, who kind of puts the pieces together as that pick-and-pop specialist who can even handle the basketball and pass as well. So you have guys like Shea Gildas-Alexander, Josh Giddy, now Chet Holmgren, Lou Dort, and J-Dub both look like they're going to be very reliable. Trey Mann as well. But let's get into kind of the back end of this roster where we don't even know if they're going to stay on this team, number one. But, you know, if they do, it wouldn't be all that surprising if they're not playing consistent minutes. And because of that, you're going to look towards the OKC Blue as a way for them to get reps. There are about three guys that I think are are locked to make this roster that probably will be traveling to the OKC Blue. And one of them is even a fringe guy. I'll say that. The first one is Uzman Jang. And I've been clear about this from the beginning. Basically, since he was drafted, I've kept this story. When he was succeeding in Summer League, it's been the same. When he was not doing well in Summer League, I said the same. And people agreed with me. And then whenever he wasn't playing as well... You know, it's kind of when people are like, whoa, or when he was playing as well, excuse me. That's when people kind of were like, whoa, why? Why would he go to the G League? Well, it doesn't change, guys. Look at how the Thunder are constructed at the three and the four. They have Lou Dort. They have J-Dub potentially sliding up there. Kenrich Williams. Aaron Wiggins might be getting some minutes. You got Darius Baisley, Alexei Pokushevsky. Jeremiah Robinson Earl might dip down there. So there are a lot of moving pieces that are going to be involved. And even someone like Josh Giddy could sneak into the three. And it makes Usman not vulnerable. I don't think that's the correct word, but it makes it harder for him to get reps. And when I'm saying reps, I'm not talking minutes. I think he, he will get on court time to begin the year. I'm talking maybe 16 to 20 minutes per game. Let him go and see how he plays. But the reps that he needs uh, to thrive in, I don't think are going to be available right away from him. Let's think about why Usman was drafted at 11, why the Thunder dished out three first-round picks. It's because he's almost six foot 11 and he's a ball handler. The shot is not there with him. And you saw this on display in both summer leagues. He was strapped to the corner when Josh Giddy was orchestrating the offense, and he looked like a shell of himself. It was known going into this year's draft that Usman was not a three-point shooter. He shot 27.1% from three last year with the New Zealand Breakers, and he was a bit hotter to close the year. That's a good sign, but you knew that it was kind of up and down with him. And if you were expecting him to be a 37% three-point shooter from the get-go, that's just not right. It was a small sample size in the summer league, but you could tell Usman is just not used to playing in the corner. He's not used to being this off-ball piece. He's basically been playing guard his whole life. Sam Presti talked about it. I think he was 6'3 at 16 years old. Presti was evaluating him in France, and the story just continued on from there. Just continuing to be a ball handler with the breakers. That's exactly what he was. He was trying to you know, create plays in the pick and roll, get players open. When you look at his stat lines, it's not like he was dropping 10, 5, and 5. In fact, he only averaged a little over an assist per game. But he looks comfortable with the ball in his hands. And when Giddy was removed from the picture for that one summer league game, 
you saw a different type of player. You saw exactly why the OKC Thunder decided we want this guy at pick 11. He looked really good downhill, even in a half-court situation. Coming off a screen, he was making really good reads. And that's that's something you really can't teach for a dude who's six foot ten. Josh Giddy is a jumbo guard. He's one of the best in the business at 19 years old. He's 6'8. You had about two inches, you could even say three, based on how close he is to 6'11. That's who is Jang. And if he hits that ceiling as a playmaker, he's going to be a really good player. Defensively, he has the attributes to be good. But you got to tie it all up with the three ball. If you play him right now with the Thunder, he's going to be playing alongside an on-ball guy immediately. Whether it's SGA, Josh Giddy, Trey Mann, or a mixture. Those three deserve to have the basketball in their hands a lot. Usman also needs a basketball in his hands a lot. But based on the team construction he would likely be in a corner right away and this is something that the thunder coaching staff are going to be talking about i'm acting as if you know it's just something going over their heads absolutely not they're way smarter than me there's a reason why they're the ones making the decisions it's not like he'll be just latched to a corner they're going to try to get him in his limited playtime in comfortable reps where he has a ball in his hands but If you want to maximize him playing on ball, you need to put him with the OKC Blue for a little bit. First G League season starts in November, uh, or the first opening of it begins probably like November 5th. And Winter Showcase Cup play, if they bring it back, ends middle of December, give or take. He doesn't have to play there for a whole month and a half, but if you play him there for about 10 games, let him have the ball in his hands, let him play shooting you know off the dribble shooting in a corner even if he's not making it it's valuable reps it's the same thing that Poku went through the last two seasons and right after he got out of the system he was a much better player it was black and white night and day with him you could tell after he got done with the blue even if the the numbers didn't look great he was a better player post blue than prior to that point and I think that's something that Usman really could use and because of the way this team is built, and because of how they've kind of trended, I think his minutes, at least in large clumps, will be backloaded into this regular season. That's when we've tended to see these younger guys get more opportunities. It's different because he was the 11th pick in this draft, but I still think you did draft him with, you know, a little bit of prospect um, and a couple of rough edges packaged in there. Smooth it out with the OKC Blue. Vic Krejci's another guy where I actually think he's kind of further down the road, about 22 here. I think he he just turned 22 years old. Really good finisher. With the OKC Blue last year, he was really polished, and it looked like he was going to smoothly uh, pivot over to the Thunder. He did. The thing with Vic is I just don't know if minutes are going to be there, and if that's the case, he's only a sophomore. I think it'd still be valuable to let him play with the OKC Blue. And if you look at this team, Jaden Shackelford, Lindy Waters, Eugene Omarui, Gabe Brown, those are sharpshooters. Those are not on-ball players. Jaden Shackelford, he's going to play the one if he sticks around with the blue. He's a shoot-first type of guy. He's not the one orchestrating plays. Vic Kredji can orchestrate. Usman Jang can orchestrate. It's like peanut butter and jelly for them. So that's why I like Vic. Another guy who... I think he's he's already ready to play for the Thunder, but if minutes are not available, I could see maybe a short dip down there. It's Aaron Wiggins. Wiggins is one of the Thunder's most consistent young guys. 55th pick last year, you would have never known it. You know, he played like a first-round pick in December. He was giving Darius Baisley a run for his money. He was efficient as it gets. The mid-range was just bread and butter, basically, for him. And he looked like everything the Thunder needed. Now, you know, I think that throughout the year, he stayed at a high level. He's proven he deserves rotational minutes. But you need to look at the jigsaw puzzle, guys. The second unit is still going to be tough. J-Dub will be getting significant minutes. Trey Mann, significant minutes. Kenrich Williams, you just re-upped him to a deal. I'm sure he understands the situation This team is still probably looking to rebuild a little longer, but he's going to be part of this rotation. Usman, part of this rotation, I believe. And then you get into guys like Poku, 
that are playing the four. Wiggins is a two or three. But even with that, I think if you are prioritizing Usman at some point, that's where Aaron Wiggins would maybe get sent down for like a week or something. So he's someone that I think would be sent down at some stints. I don't think he necessarily needs it, but continue to give him some run. And then also Jay Will. I think when you're talking this rotation, Derek Favors is still here. Is he going to stick around? That's up in the air. But if he is, if JRE is going to be that backup too, I think Jay Will could really use that time with the OKC Blue. They do already have some centers, but it's been shown. You know, they're willing to throw their centers down there for a little bit and, and let them get some experience in. Really helped out Jeremiah Robinson Earl last year. He barely played with them. I think it was all of one or two games, but he balled out, went right back up, was great. Isaiah Roby played there last year, also was pretty great. So you've seen that model work out. It's going to work out for Jay Will, I believe, if he is sent down. Could work on his pick and pop game there as well. I think the biggest winners of this, though, aren't even guys on that standard roster. And it might sound crazy, but let me delve into it. I'm talking the guys that are on Exhibit 10 contracts and are just bench players or starters on the blue. They're inked to a G League contract. It might not make sense because the two-way guys are going to be at the top of the leaderboard. Of course they are. But if there's someone killing it with the Oklahoma City Blue on an Exhibit 10 contract... The Thunder are going to be there. You're going to have coaches there. You're going to have scouts there. They're looking at the practices. They're looking at the games. If you have a team that has their G League affiliate states away, it's entirely different how teams operate. And it's crazy. The Grand Rapids Gold is a perfect example. This is the Denver Nuggets G League affiliate. Denver, Colorado. That's where the Denver Nuggets are. Grand Rapids, Michigan. That's a long gap. You know, you're not going to have your Nuggets staff just zooming up to Michigan after watching the Nuggets practice. It just limits how many eyes can be on these games, be on these practices, and you want to have as many scouts evaluating. Of course, there are scouts dedicated to the G League, but if you're able to get everybody in-house to kind of view things, you get that better overall perspective. And, and that's how they benefit. Another great example, the Miami Heat. They got their team in Sioux Falls, man. We're talking the Dakotas. That's a really long plane ride if you're looking to check out one of those games. It's not even across the street for the blue. It's the same building. Just show up to work a little earlier. Catch that blue game. Jot down some notes. You're good to go. Whenever I went to the blue games last year, Nazi Muhammad was right there every time. He's the GM of the OKC Blue. He's going to be there. But right next to him, you can have that scout at the media table. Two scouts at the media table. It just plays in their hands. And for guys like Shackelford, guys like Gabe Brown, Sasha, I mean, they are going to have more eyes than most franchises will. At least NBA representatives, they're going to have more eyes because of the location, because they're playing in the Paycom Center, and because this isn't an NBA city. You know, let's go back to it. Sioux Falls? There's no, there's no team around there, you know? Why is the Orlando Magic scout going to fly directly there unless he has him pinpointed? I want this guy from the Sioux Falls Sky Force. It could happen. It most definitely does happen. I'm sure of it. But if you got, you know, the Pelicans coming into town, I'm sure, and, and this doesn't even have to be the Pelicans. You know, there's plenty of times where scouts from other teams watch other games. They'll be in town. And they'll say, you know, there's a blue game right before this. We're going to watch the blue game too. Helps out everybody. And I really like this crew, the blue I've assembled. Shackelford's a really good scorer. Gabe Brown, nice sharpshooter. He showed that in the summer league. And Sasha Kalea Jones as well looks like a pretty good player. And by the tape, he fits exactly what the Oklahoma City Blue needs. So this helps for contract upgrades. I want to talk a bit more about Sasha Kalea Jones, though. I've talked about Shackelford. I've talked about Brown in the past. Sasha is new to the rotation. want to give my scoop on him and why I believe he is the perfect fit for the Oklahoma City Blue and what Nazi Muhammad's vision has been while at the helm of the franchise. So let's just talk about it. 
Sasha Clea Jones got signed earlier last week to an Exhibit 10 deal by the Thunder. Earlier, he was with the Los Angeles Lakers in the Summer League, and there was one consistent thing about him. Straight up hustler. Anytime there was a loose ball, Sasha was going for it. He was looking to get rejections. If he got posterized, he got posterized. Didn't matter. He'd turn around, get right back into action. Six foot eleven. He's listed as a tweener. I believe this was in college when he was at Kentucky, but I think now he's kind of grown to the point where you can play him at that center position. 220 pounds, that's kind of where you throw that tweener label in there, but he does have a pretty NBA-ready body at uh, 22 years old here. So, or excuse me, 23 years old. Sasha's journey to the league has been very interesting. McDonald's All-American in 2017, joins a blue-chip school in Kentucky, probably could have went anywhere from that pick of the litter, but he didn't really play much. And, you know, the Kentucky Wildcats are a pretty good team. It's common for four and five stars to come in, not get minutes that they might have expected. And that's what happened to Kalea Jones He played two years with Kentucky, averaged just 11.7 minutes per game, and then he decided he was going to transfer to NC State. That didn't work out. He had that transfer year, and then before getting into action, he decided, you know what, I'm just going to go pro. So he was working out with NC State, but he never appeared in a game for them, and then he went undrafted as a pro, or going into being a pro. After that point, you saw him kind of bounce around from overseas teams. Saw him back in 2019 go around to Sparta Praha, which is in the Czech Republic. Later on, he went to Estonia. And then in the 2020-21 to season, he was also in another country in Poland. So he was, you know, kind of bouncing around, posting solid numbers. But you really didn't see him turn into a star until last year. Played in the Israeli Premier League, and he went with Hopal Gobaya Galil. So, he got into that, and he posted extremely solid numbers with them, actually. So, he hops on board with them, and he just starts to dominate. He averaged 18.1 points and 7.6 rebounds last year in the Super League. And 2.4 of those were on the offensive glass. As I mentioned, Hustler. If there was an opportunity for him to go for that ball, if if he had box out position, or if he didn't, he was going to go for that swim move. He wanted it time and time again. And put-back dunks were just a staple for him. If you saw him fly in for a put-back dunk, you really weren't that surprised because that's just the type of player he was. And that's the type of player that really tends to succeed with the Oklahoma City Blue. And... There are two different archetypes that I think I've kind of pinned down on the Thunder organization and the Blue organization as a whole. Sometimes you'll see it at the Thunder level. Sometimes you'll see it at the Blue level. They're obviously intertwined, though, and and that's why you see some patterns. The first one, and I think the easiest one to spot, is at the wing spot. They love going after wings that have wingspan. This is a theme that we saw throughout their draft, but just honing in on that 2-3 and spot... Guys like Terrence Ferguson, Josh Hustis, Andre Roberson, these are lengthy wings. But I don't think you really saw it kick in until a couple seasons ago. Melvin Frazier Jr., 6'6", 7'2", wingspan, two years with the OKC Blue. J-Dub from this draft class, 6'6", 7'2", wingspan, basically identical. And then Eugene Omarui on a two-way deal, 6'7", 7'2", wingspan, Basically, control C, control V three times. And they've done this in the last three years. You know, these are transactions that are just kind of coming in by them. And they're looking to find a 3 and D guy, which is something you want. Kind of that low-maintenance, plug-and-play person who's going to give you efficiency. Every team needs that. And if you're able to find a player of that caliber, you're going to be very successful. Think of Kenrich Williams as one of those guys that you're kind of trying to hit on uh, when you're going into blue ranks to find these type of prospects. The other one might be a little bit more hidden, and some of the players didn't even play for the OKC Thunder, but they were just part of the organization, and it comes from the center position. The OKC Blue are amazing, and this is, I credit a lot to Nazi Muhammad, their scouting group, they are on another level at the five spot. 
they are good at finding NBA level talent at the center position. The Thunder are not your typical team in terms of how they're playing one through five. We saw that through just the ridiculous amounts of small ball we watched the last two seasons. But nonetheless, they're good at finding players that are going to succeed. And if they're looking to kind of revert back to how they're playing five years ago, they would have so many slam dunk fits for this team. Let's rewind to the G League bubble, though. They pick up Moses Brown on a two-way contract. Springy 7'2 center. Looked good with the Texas Legends. Really didn't play much on his two-way contract with the Blazers, but he was pretty efficient overall with the Legends. One and done player out of UCLA. Went undrafted. Still has some clear-cut room there. The Thunder pick him up, and he was a star with the blue averaged 18.5 points little over 13 rebounds per game it might have been 14 rebounds per game honestly six offensive rebounds to go along with that nobody could stop him when I tell you those 15 games were some of the most fun 15 games I've covered I seriously mean it it's not just because Moses Brown was playing wall ball against these guys it's because he had a backup just as good in Omer Yurt 7 Seven feet tall. He's not this guy going for alley-oops, killing it in fast break. More of that flat-footed type of center. And I will say, both of these guys are not very good in terms of screen defense, but everywhere else, I really like them. Your seven comes in as his postman, you know, put him in the post, throw an entry pass, let him get his hook shot up. Was really efficient there, looks good as a rebounder, good at setting screens. By the end of that season, just 15 games, keep in mind, He's hitting three-point shots. He's looking comfortable popping in the mid-range. And he was overall a dominant threat as well. 15.2 points and 9.3 rebounds off the bench. You can't get any better than that. He's the most efficient, I think, in PER in G League history. I was looking at some stats earlier this week. I think he was number one. And Moses Brown was in the top five. So... They aren't playing 100 games in the G League. That obviously waters it down. But in that one season, it just lets you know how special it was between those two. The The one stat I want you guys to take from this, though. It's not necessarily the offensive rebounding, but it definitely comes with it. And it, it really is. It, it's what it is. <laughs> it's the ORP, which is the offensive rebounding percentage. In that season... Moses Brown led the league, 24.8 ORP, Yurt 7, 15.7% ORP. That means that Moses Brown was coming down with like 25% of the offensive rebounds and just put it right back up over and over. Yurt 7, much of the same. Last year, Olivier Saar, 7-foot center, kind of was like Yurt 7 where... You know, he might not be the most athletic guy, but he looks technically sound. I just remembered this. If you guys look at my OKC Blue preview from last year, I said Olivier Sar was my dark horse. Just letting that out there, and he, he turned out to be a really good player. Didn't play as much as most G League centers, but in his stint, he proved to be a threat. Regular season, we're talking about second in the G League in ORP at 20.4%. Let's look at Sasha Kalea Jones. When we look at his stats in the Israeli Premier League, I don't believe ORP is data that's available to everybody, but let's look at the offensive rebounds. 2.4 per game out of 7.6. That's a pretty good number to be throwing up there. It's not the 6 that we saw from Moses Brown, but for a 6'11", 220-pound tweener, you're going to take that, and you're going to take how he's flying up for some of these offensive rebounds. I think DJ Wilson's a good example of Kalea Jones in terms of what that rebounding will look like. It's not going to be off of just brute force or height, but kind of that hybrid where he's just very good at positioning. And when there's an opening, I'd say he's a little bit more athletic than DJ Wilson being able to get that basketball and just throwing it right back up. So he's going to slot in. DJ Wilson's gone. Olivier Saar is gone. They need someone who will fill out the five. And I really think that's the backbone of this team the last two years. If they didn't have good center play, you were still able to get by because it is a very guard-heavy league. But if you run into those centers, 
that are seven feet tall, very strong in the post. You need to have someone to counteract that. Jalen Horde, as athletic as he is, as good as he was in his, you know, situation, you need that backbone. Kalea Jones, I believe, is going to be that. Really good at cleaning things up on the glass. Same exact notes, though, to some of these other guys. Improvement area, pick and pop game. Shot around 30% um, last season from distance. Solid looking jump shot, but just need to work on that. As long as he shoot well in the mid-range department, opens up so much for this team. So many shooters already on this blue team. Have someone setting you screens. I think he has a chance to sniff out training camp. He's about to be 24 in the upcoming weeks, so I think the blue is probably the more reasonable option, but he would be the starter if he is sniffing time and if he decides to play for the Oklahoma City Blues. So I love this. That was just a pattern that I kind of dug out there in terms of the center play, and once again, just round of applause for how the OKC Blue construct things. One thing with them is that they find the players and Honestly, they have so many young guys, it makes it hard to retain all of them. Omerier 7 is a great example. He is killing it with the Miami Heat right now. But if we're talking five best G League teams in terms of finding that talent, getting them to the next level, the OKC Blue is there. Easily there. The Miami Heat are probably right there, one and two. But there's a gap between those two teams and the rest of the league. So it really lets you know um, how good the organization is just structured both um, at the NBA level and then also at the G League level. And I want to discuss where some of these guys have trekked along to. We are now in the latter portion of the offseason. We're starting to see G League prospects who might have not gotten another NBA deal go elsewhere. If you guys follow the uh, the G League you know, intently, Miles Powell was a monster with the Delaware Blue Coats last year. 22.5 points per game in about 26 minutes. And the efficiency, we're talking splits of about 50-40-90. That's an NBA type of player right there. He's a bit undersized, but... He signed overseas, seven-month, seven-figure contract. Carson Edwards, he's going to Fenerbahce next year. Averaged about 27 points per game for the Salt Lake City Stars. The talented players are moving on to the next level, and there are plenty of talented guys from last year's blue roster. Some of them have already signed contracts. Some of them have not. So I think we should just round it out, you know, giving you guys a scoop on where these players are heading off to and where you guys can catch them next. Xavier Simpson, we're going to start it out there. I mentioned that on the last pod that he agreed to an Exhibit 10 deal with the Orlando Magic. He's the only player, to my knowledge, of this blue squad that will be sticking around with the same team that signed him on a summer league deal. He signed with the Lakers last year. I don't believe things worked out, so he got the Exhibit 10 deal from the Thunder and just rejoined them, but... He's going to be playing for a training camp spot. The Orlando Magic just filled both their two-way contracts. Schofield is signed, and then their recent signees on a two-year, two-way contract. So they are very confident in his overall progression. It'd be an uphill battle for him to knock someone out of the two-way race, but clearly he's impressed them enough to keep him around. And good for him. I think that given the Magic's rotation, they do need guard help, and I think he does have a valiant effort of being that 20-man training camp lineup. Rob Edwards, the microwave, able to put up points in a jiffy, not signed anywhere, believe he's still working out in Michigan currently, so, or it actually might be in Arizona, it's in Michigan or Arizona, um, but we don't know what the next chapter is with him, he did not participate in the summer league. One of the better scorers to come through the OKC Blue program, most definitely. If we're talking guys that are able to drop 15 or 20 points in an NBA game, Rob Edwards is most definitely one of them. I think it comes down to maybe defensive ability and maybe a little bit more restriction on shooting. He is a little trigger happy, but when he is killing it, he's going to be one of your best players on the floor. So that's a very alluring aspect to his game. I'm sure he's going to get a good contract, whether it's with another affiliate or overseas. He'd be getting the bag if he's going overseas because scoring goes a very long way. 
Same goes with Jemias Ramsey. The OKC Blue and Thunder showed clear interest in him last year. Ended up trading the rights of Chason Randall to get him. Chason playing in the NBL right now. Previously was on a two-way deal with the Magic. Very good player. Jemias, also a very good player. I think he's tw- he's going to be 21 years old now in the coming months. I think by the start of the season, he'll be 21. Still a very young player. Second round pick two seasons ago. Kings didn't play him that often. When he was playing with the blue, he was one of their best players. Amazing penetrating to the basket. Really good in terms of space creation. I think he's on the cusp of being being an NBA player, to be honest with you. And quite frankly, you know, I think if the Kings might have played him a little bit more, nurtured him, he wouldn't have been waived in the first place and he'd still be on that rookie deal. He's not signed anywhere, didn't play in summer league ball, still looks like he's just working out, letting things go this summer. Maybe he picks up a training camp deal along the way. Lindy Waters, we know the story with him. He's sticking around with the Thunder on his two-way contract. And DJ Wilson signing that partially guaranteed deal with the Toronto Raptors. Just keeping tabs on Wilson. I mean, he was the star of the blue in the Winter Showcase Cup, basically carried them to the finals and then left because he got a 10-day deal by the Toronto Raptors which he should have done no fault in that and it worked out because he got that 10-day deal later on in March he signs two more 10-day deals and then he gets injured played with them in summer league got that partially guaranteed deal and now Armani Brooks is gone so that kind of shortens the chopping block for him a little bit They got Juan Hernan Gomez in, though, which, you know, that's a a battle in the same position. DJ Wilson is still a player that can play that 14th or 15th spot in a a solid team. I think when you're looking to find those veteran players, they need to fit a set role. And one of the the parts of that role is you're not going to be too high of usage. You're not going to be the one launching 10 shots in 12 minutes. You're going to be taking three shots, getting, you know, five, six rebounds and making some good plays on defense. DJ has shown that the one big thing that he was drafted on was that three-point shot. Didn't see it much with a blue. Looked like a better back-to-basket player. And, you know, that, that obviously worked out for him with the blue. If he looks impressive from distance, I think that can move him on to the preseason and potentially onto that 15-man roster. He was the final cut, I believe, from the Thunder last year, so he was still very close to making the team, and I, I think he's gotten better since we last saw him in Thunder preseason. Olivier Saar, I think it was just a summer league deal for him with the Suns, so I don't know if he's linked anywhere, but most definitely I think he's going to be in a training camp or he's going to sign a really good deal overseas because he has proven himself as a very talented player. Melvin Frazier Jr., his G League rights are still going to be with the Minnesota Timberwolves if he decides to stay in the G League. If not, overseas is going to be the route for him. Looked good in the G League, looked really good when he was at Lakeland a couple seasons ago, but he just hasn't had that, you know, perfect opportunity in the NBA just yet, and I think that, you know, at this point, he's he needs to work a little bit more, probably work his way up from a training camp spot, and, and now he's not able to sign a two-way contract, so it's either standard deal or G League contract for him. Yorgos Kalagzakis, just recently signed a deal, and this one's interesting. He's going to be signing overseas, and he's joining his twin brother, actually. He is going to Pantheakos, and this is one of the powerhouses, actually, overseas. If you guys kind of pay attention to Euro Cup play, you would know about Pantheakos, and you would know uh, about the, his tenure with them. That's where he was prior to being selected by the Bucks last year. Played for them from 2015 to 2019 and then returned in the 2020 to 21 season. So he's coming back for the third stint. Took that one-year hiatus for NBA ball. I'm assuming there was no two-way offer. So he's going to be rejoining them. Honestly, I really thought he was a solid player with the blue. And when he was with the Thunder, he was still... 
a very, you know, good breath of fresh air for them. This is a wing that is pretty good on the defensive side of the basketball. You want to check the box from distance. He didn't necessarily do that, but had good moments as a passer, had good moments guarding multiple positions. He's going to be a really good plug-and-play person when he returns to his former team. And he's also going to be playing with his twin brother, Panagatis. So that's good for them. Obviously, they um, have been running camps in Greece for, I, I believe, the last month. So it makes sense. You know, there, there's been linkings for a while. It's good to see him back, though, and I'm sure he's going to absolutely kill it. He was regarded as one of the best European prospects uh, before the 2021 NBA draft. So he still has a lot of value, I would imagine. Jalen Hoard's another player who I think is still very valuable. Not signed to an NBA deal. I mean, man, he was dominant when um, things were winding down this past season. And I know he had 40 minutes a game, but you got to remember, guys, this is kind of the same thing that happened last year. Not last year, but in the 2020-21 to season when he got the upgrade and he was able to play on his two-way contract, he was good finishing around the basket. He is one of the better players, not just in the G League, but in the NBA in terms of drawing fouls. If he's charging to the rack, he gets that contact and he's getting to the stripe. Not the greatest free throw shooter, not the greatest three-point shooter, but if you're looking to find someone who's going to cut backdoor Jalen Horde is most definitely that and he's still a very good hustler when it comes to getting rebounds you want him for your training camp most definitely we've seen him this summer with team France he wasn't on the team with Teo last month uh, but he's still in uh, Asvel that's where Usman Jang was when he was 16 that's where Teo Maladon has been and that's where the best of the best in France train he's been there all summer that's where he's been getting his work in I would think he has NBA interest somewhere based on how he closed the year out. If that's not an option, which quite frankly, I think it is. I think he's on somebody's radar. Then he could go overseas again. Uh, and not again, just in general, he could go overseas. And I'm sure he'd be very, very productive. Jalen Horde has been an absolute blast to cover these past two seasons. And even in years prior, when he was on a two-way deal with the Blazers, he was still a very good player. Justin Jaworski, I covered this a couple episodes ago. He is signed overseas in the LEB Pro, so we will not see any more from him. But really good sharpshooter. I'm sure he's going to be efficient there. Scotty Hobson also has signed in the LBL. He wasted no time. He just got right back into playing basketball after the G League season. You have to respect it. So... <laughs> Best of luck to him. He's 32 years old, certified veteran. Fun fact about him, he actually played in um, the D-League Select, which was a team that was in the Las Vegas Summer League back in, um, I think it started in 2009 and ended in 2016. So these were basically your all-stars. Guys like Quinn Cook were also on this roster. Scotty Hobson was on that team. He was pretty good as well. So he has been... Through the system in the G League and D League. And now looks like he's heading back overseas. Michael Benajay, haven't heard anything from him. Daquan Lake looks to be a free agent. Cedric Bearfield's a free agent. And Anthony Flip Flop Robertson. I think it's Snip Snap. Sorry. But um, he's also a free agent. That's the nickname given to him. He was moved back and forth from the active list about five times to make room for other players. So... That's a guy that I'd love to chat with. I think he probably has a really interesting perspective on last year's blue season, but haven't heard anything from him. He is the brother of Andre Roberson, so there is a bit of a connection between those two. Six foot five, 180 pounds, so a little bit different in terms of stature, but still the same basic archetype. And when he gets minutes, you kind of plug him in for defensive purposes. That leaves the current core of five for the blue squad and this is assuming the exhibit 10 guys stick around for the g league if they go overseas obviously things are canned but regardless if they're playing in the g league the okc thunder get first dibs Jaden shackleford at the one lindy waters the third at the two 
Eugene Omarui at the 3, Gabe Brown at the 4, and Sasha Kalea Jones at the 5. This is a team that's a lot different than years prior. And this is because you don't have that backbone point guard, I don't believe. They they have yet to really find that yet. And when I'm saying that, I'm talking a pass first guard. I'm talking Xavier Simpson. I'm talking Abdul Gaddy where they're crossing the timeline looking to create plays for others. If they're getting a screen, they're looking to kick out. They're looking to find that dump-off pass. Jaden Shackelford is still a very talented player. I think he's able to make reads when he's going downhill, but he is a score-first type of point guard, and that really changes how teams are orchestrated. Um, you know, And it's not a, a good or bad thing. I think it just you know, straight straight up changes the dynamics. You look at a team such as the Salt Lake City Stars last year, they were one of the worst teams in win-loss, but I'd be lying if I didn't tell you Carson Edwards was one of the most special players in the league last year. Shot after shot was falling in for him, and it was very hard to guard him one-on-one. Shackelford's one of those players where I think one-on-one he's going to thrive, but if he opens up the offense, if he turns more into that pass-first guard, that's when you see a lot of benefits. That's when Sasha Kalea Jones really gets amplified. And you start to see the pure sharpshooters like Lindy, Eugene, and Gabe thrive. This is a shooting team. OKC's been struggling from three. So for them to be tackling the three-point land is actually really big. And that's why I still think Gabe Brown is someone who can make the training camp roster. And over time, he could be the next Lindy Waters, where let's say Eugene doesn't live up to expectation. Gabe Brown could sneak in there, get the contract, and finish out the year with the Oklahoma City Thunder. That's another reason why this arena helps out so much. If you put Lindy Waters in Sioux Falls last year, it'd be very difficult, I'm sure. Or the decision might have been very difficult to pick him over someone like Rob Edwards, for example. Because Edwards has been in the system for two years, microwave score. Lindy Waters, more of a catch-and-shoot guy, played on the bench for most of the year. That's all, That's a tough call. I really think them being an OKC drove that decision for Lindy Waters to be that pick, and it worked out for the OKC Thunder. That's the current core, though. We'll see how the roster fills out. The G League draft is upcoming. I don't have a set date on it, but they should have two first-round picks, their own selection, and then also they should have one from the Iowa Wolves as well. So that should be slotted somewhere in the mid-first round. I've mentioned it on Twitter before, and I was actually told that people didn't know the G League draft existed. Um, I can't blame you. <laughs> I know it's not publicized very often, and, and a lot of the G League guys aren't even selected to the draft. You know, I think Michael Benajay was a first-round pick at last year's draft to give some perspective on things. Anyways, though, that's kind of how things are laid out, and I'm so excited to give you guys coverage for the OKC Blue it's a, a team, and I think in, in general, the G League is just not covered as much as it should be. So many fun storylines, so many fun games. I'm going to let you guys know all about that on the pod, on SI.com, and on Twitter. You guys can check me out at Ben Kreider on Twitter, or check out the pod's Twitter at ThunderstickPod. Anyways, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. Really thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.